I remember when I was 12, I was walking through the house that I had grown up in one night, and reality was just sinking in for me. My mom had moved out when I was nine and too young to fully understand. At 12, I was realizing the hole that her leaving left in our family. I walked past my dad's room and saw him by himself. I remember walking into the room and putting my head on his chest and saying, I miss mom. And after a second, he replied back, I miss her too. Before this, my household was pretty normal. Two sisters and both parents in a loving home. We went to church for Christmas and Easter with my grandma. I was never neglected and my parents tried hard to make things normal for us after the divorce. But I couldn't help comparing my life to the kids around me. It was weird and I knew it was weird. Receiving love from two houses and moving between the two. Holidays were different, everything was different. A lot of times my dad worked out of town and my mom worked shift work. So we spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house and I ended up leaning on my grandpa as a main male role model. Throughout high school, I continued comparing my life to others and depression started to grow inside me. I had big plans for my life. I was academic, getting a B plus average in math and sciences and I was going to become an engineer. But my depression kept getting worse and I ended up not graduating with my class and not being able to attend UVic like I had planned. During my parents' divorce, I never thought about praying or asking for help. I just relied on myself and felt that things had to get better. But things didn't get better. I blamed myself for much that had gone wrong in my parents' marriage and spent so much time sizing my life up against others, wishing things were different and dwelling on all the things that were wrong in my life. In 2017, my grandpa got sick and passed away. I felt completely lost. He was the one person who had consistently been my rock during the hard times and with him gone, I felt so alone. I was in a bad relationship, I was working 60 hours a week at two dead-end jobs and I had no idea where I was headed. I remember a rainy day in April 2017 when I felt like I couldn't do it anymore. I asked myself, is this a life worth living? What am I even doing? I did something I had never done before and I called my best friend who's now my girlfriend. I spilled everything that was happening and the line went quiet for a second. Then she said, I'm going to pray for you. That was the beginning of something. Even though I had never really thought about God very much before, this was the beginning of hope. It meant so much that somebody would take the time out of their day to think about me and pray for me. Nobody had ever done that before. Soon after this, another friend knew I was struggling and invited me to Southside. I remember being so nervous. I had heard the stereotypes of church and churchgoers and I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into. But my experience at Southside was not what I expected. I was greeted in the parking lot, at the door, and again at the gym doors. And for someone who never went to church, I felt welcomed. I continued to come. I didn't even know why I was going, but something kept me coming back. After a few months of this, everything began to click. Something Pastor Mike said really hit home. Learn to let go of your painful past. I felt that message really sink in, and I slowly began to stop comparing myself to other people. I let go of the pain of my parents' divorce that had weighed so heavily on me for so long. I remember during worship one Sunday shortly after this that I had this strange feeling inside of me. It was sort of like butterflies or something, and I didn't know what it was. It was my girlfriend's mom who said that I was probably feeling God's love, and I started thinking about God's love for me and started opening my heart up a little bit to him. It was Christmas Eve of 2018. It was so cliche, I almost wanted to wait. But I knew it was finally time. 
When Pastor Mike asked if anybody wanted to let Jesus into their life, I slowly put my hand up. I sort of thought this was the only step that I had to take, but God doesn't let us stay comfortable. He continued to push me to take my next step and get more involved here at church. So I signed up with the Fueled Up initiative for the For This City outreach. It was so incredible to be a part of something bigger than me and to be a part of a team who was bringing hope to our city. I expected to feel God at church, but during For This City, I realized that God wasn't just inside the church walls. When I allowed him into every part of my daily life, it really started to change. Once again, God didn't let me get comfortable. And when I heard that baptism was coming up, my heart started pounding and I knew that this was my next step. I am so excited to follow Jesus wherever he takes me. God showed me something really cool when I was hiking in Banff with my girlfriend. I was following behind her, straining to keep my eyes on her, when this thought came into my head. What would my life look like if I kept my eyes on God just like this? If I set my sights only on Him, where would He take me? Every day with His help, I'm learning to have perseverance, and I'm learning that simply being there for people in my life every day is God's plan for me. I want to be there for those who are struggling like I was. I'm also learning how to be authentic and that it's okay to ask for help when I need it. I'm learning gratefulness. With my eyes on Jesus, I can finally stop obsessively comparing my life to other people's and just focus on keeping my eyes on Jesus and following him one next step at a time. Morning. November 24th, exactly one month before Christmas Eve, which is a big deal to me for a couple reasons. Number one, Christmas is a big deal to the Manus family. To give you an idea of how big a deal it is, uh, last year, Corinne was putting up our tree and decorating our house for Christmas in between handing out candy for trick-or-treat. <laughs> Put that in perspective. So this year, she was really late. She didn't get all the tree and stuff done until November 1st, but that was my fault because there were some heavy boxes in the garage that I didn't bring into the living room until uh, November 1st. Christmas is a big deal to our family because no matter where everybody is roamed, we come back together and kind of slow down a bit and spend some time together. It's good. For me, Christmas break starts about 9.30 p.m. Uh, December 24th, which brings me to the second reason why Christmas is a big deal to me. It's not just a big deal to the Manus family, it's a big deal to the Southside family. It was really interesting listening to that Noah's story in that video today, because I can't tell you uh, that there are many weeks that go by during any given year for me when I do not hear somebody say, um, God changed my life. God changed my family. God changed my marriage. God changed my destiny, and it started at a Christmas service put on by Southside Church. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Like that, the message of Christmas is, uh, well, it changes things. That God would love the world so much that he would send his one and only son, that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. You know, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would, would look down at human history and he would see the darkness and the despair. He would see the hurt and the broken. And he said, enough. It stops now. And he came and if you were the only one in history who needed to be rescued, he would have come for you. He died on a cross and if you were the only one in history who needed a clean slate and a new beginning and forgiveness of your sins, he would have died for you. Then he rose again, and if you were the only one in history that needed strength for today, hope for tomorrow, and the promise of eternity, he would have rose again just for you. That message never gets old.
I'm looking ahead to this Christmas and thinking, um, it's kind of bittersweet. Because this is the last Christmas services that we're ever going to do at Sardis Secondary School. You know, because if, if everything goes according to schedule, the new building's going to be ready for next Christmas. So on one hand, it's exciting. It, it really, really is. Because I do believe that years ago, God told us that we need to bring hope for this city, and more hope for this city, and more help for this city. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but for generations to come. And part of that is to put our foot down. And I do believe that we're going to see amazing things. And we're, and, and, and we're going to be saying, man, when we talked all those times about the best is yet to come, the best really was yet to come. But just because the best is yet to come doesn't mean that you aren't allowed to look back and be thankful. And when I think about Christmas at start of secondary school, you know what I think of? I think of the hundreds of thousands of hours that men and women, ordinary world changers like you and me, have put into just these Christmas services alone. Hundreds of thousands of hours. It's incredible. The parking team, the welcome team, the kids team, the tech, like all the team, like the annual <laughs> Boxing Day takedown team. Hundreds of thousands of hours. You know what that is? That's legacy. That's just a bunch of people getting together and saying, man, we're just going to do what we can do. That's just you and me getting together and saying, man, if, 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 if we just do what we can do, I bet you God will show up and do what only he can do. And he does. Because that's Christmas. <laughs> it, it really does change everything. So we've been in the last few months looking at an Old Testament life story, the story of a guy named Samuel. 3,100 years ago, this prophet lived. And a few weeks ago, we kind of hit pause for a second, and we shined a spotlight on the whole concept of family. And the reason we did is because we saw that Samuel kind of had an adopted family. He was mentored by and raised by Eli, the head priest in Shiloh. And Eli had a dysfunctional family. And so we stopped there, and, and, and today, I'm going to kind of get us rolling again. So it's an interesting task. I've got to jump out of this family series, uh, mini-series, start looking forward towards Christmas, and get us back into Samuel. And to do that, I'm really excited. Because I'm going to preach today on two passages that you have never heard anyone preach on before. Even if you've gone to church your whole life. And they're passages about legacy. And they're passages about redemption. And I really believe they're going to inspire you. So let's start with Luke chapter 3. We're going to talk about genealogies today. Aren't you excited? This is the part of the Bible that you skip over when you're reading, isn't it? Admit it. Okay, so throw it up. Oh, so I should tell you, if you just, oh, I keep on doing, the team is so mad at me right now because I keep on saying, stop, start, stop. Okay, so just, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it right there. So my plan was to read these genealogies to you. I got two of them today. And so a few weeks ago when Corinne and I were in the editing process, she said to me, you can't read these aloud. And I said, oh, yes, I can. And she said, you can't. And here's why, because there's too many names that are too hard to say. I said, Corinne, you don't get it. When you're preaching, there's just a really simple rule when you come to places or people whose names you cannot pronounce. You increase your speed, your volume, and your confidence. Because here's the thing, none of you guys know how to pronounce them anyway. She said, okay, smart guy, read it out loud for me. And I did. And then I decided that I wasn't going to read it out loud for you. Okay, so, so we're going to scroll through. And, and one thing to save you, just before you start, 
is it starts with Joseph, Jesus' dad, and it goes back all the way. Well, you'll see. You can roll it. There's David. Yeah, you can keep going. Son of Jesse. There's Abraham. Nice. It goes all the way back to Adam. Okay? Now I want to turn our attention to a different genealogy out of Matthew chapter 1. It goes in the opposite direction. It starts at Abraham and goes forward all the way to Jesus. Okay? So let's go. There's Abraham again. Rahab, we'll talk about her in a second. Uh, King David. Good. Yeah, yeah, got it, got it, got it. Roland. Manasseh. Zerubbabel. I knew how to say that and you didn't. Keep going. Just, I'm just, just, just a quick point. And then all the way up to Jesus. So as I'm studying, preparing for this particular Sunday, God brings these two genealogies to my attention. And I think to myself, first of all, are you kidding me? And then second, I, I think, man, is that ever beautiful? Is that ever beautiful? Look at those steps. Like that's, that, that to me is, is, is the road to redemption and it, it's intricate and it's beautiful and it's fragile. Think about all the steps required to get us to a manger in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem and a teenage mom named Mary and her faithful husband, Joseph, and a savior who is Christ the Lord. What a night. You know there were shepherds out in the fields near Bethlehem that night keeping watch over their flocks. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I I bring you tidings of great joy that will be for all people. Tonight in the town of David, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You're going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then the angel was joined with the great heavenly host, and they sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. To all people. And when the song was over, the shepherds went to Bethlehem, and guess what? They found it just like the angel said it would be. And I read those and I think, and how beautiful, how intricate, how fragile is the road to redemption. Like, think about Abraham. God looked at the world and he said, He saw the darkness and he saw the despair. And he decided to do something about it. He said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave familiar. I want you to leave your home, your friends, your family, your comfort. And I want, to, I want you to set off to a distant country. Abraham says, what country? God says, I'm not telling you, but I'll show you. And then he says, well, Abraham, not only that, but even though you're old and your wife Sarah is old, I'm going to give you a kid and I'm going to build a great nation out of you, Abraham. And all people in all of history will be blessed because of the nation I build through you. And listen to this. You're not going to believe it. Abraham trusted God. But what if he didn't? But, but what, what if he didn't? So it's, e- it's easy to see this line in the, in the genealogy. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Cool. Go, go, go. Sure. Okay. No, but, but what if he didn't? Hey, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have this level of faith and courage, Abraham. I want you to leave these people. I want you to leave this place. I want you to leave this home, and you're never going to see it again. Where are we going? I'll show you. And he went. 
But in light of this beautiful, intricate, fragile road to redemption, here's a simple question. What if he didn't? How about this name? Rahab. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Well, okay, Rahab. So in the culture that Matthew was writing out of, in the culture that Matthew was inspired by God to write into, Rahab had three strikes against her. Okay? Number one, Rahab was a woman. Women weren't important enough to put on genealogy in the opinion of the people in that culture. God disagreed. Number two strike on Rahab, she wasn't even Jewish. So she was a Gentile woman. Like, not nearly important enough to place on a genealogy. It's almost like God was saying that what's important is not the color of your skin or the label of your ethnicity or the limitations placed on you by the culture. Instead, what's important is the content of your character, the faith in your heart, and the power of your potential. Woman, Gentile, or one more little thing, she was a prostitute. In other words, she was a known sinner. You know, lots of church people, they keep their sins secret, right? Rahab didn't. Everyone knew that Rahab was a sinner. And so there would have been plenty of people in Rahab's life that would have said this to her. Sweetheart. I'm looking at him. I'm saying, sweetheart. He's like, dude, what are you? You do look sweet, though, okay? Um, God loves lots of people, Rahab. He, he, He can't love someone like you. God forgives lots of people, Rahab. He can't, he can't forgive someone like you. God, God might have a plan for lots of people, Rahab, but he can't have a plan uh, for someone like you. And Rahab chose, instead of believing those lies, to believe a God who is incredibly compassionate and merciful and sees way past the surface things that we see into the power of her potential. So she trusted God. But here's a simple question. We're talking about this intricate, fragile road to redemption. What if she didn't? You know, David, look at this. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You've maybe heard of David before. He's one of the most famous kings in human history. When when David was just a teenager, he killed a, 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 a giant named Goliath. It's interesting, too, because when we transition kind of back into the story of Samuel next week, we're going to find out that Samuel played a really important role with the first two kings of Israel, King Saul and King David. And right about the time that our Christmas services come, which I should tell you, by the way, we got so many Christmas services this year. Uh, Sunday, December 22nd, 9, 11, 2, 4, and 6. Tuesday, December 24th, 2, 4, and 6. So my question for you quickly is, uh, who are you inviting? Who are you bringing? Who are you bribing? Who are you blackmailing? Who are you kidnapping? I don't care. Just get them here. This message needs to get out. Needs to get out. But right around the time we get to our Christmas services this year, it's going to be David and Goliath. We're going to do a David and Goliath Christmas. It's going to be so awesome. <laughs> I think some giants are going to fall in people's lives this Christmas. But don't change the subject. We're talking about genealogies right now. But what? Okay. Why doesn't it say this? David the giant killer. David the giant killer was Solomon's dad. Doesn't say that. You know what it says? It says David, husband to another man's wife. 
And everyone who read that would have known the story. So David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed her husband. Okay, wait. Do we really? Like, do we? Seems like kind of kind of a buzzkill for the genealogy, doesn't it? I want, you, I want you to think about the story of David. And, and I want you to think about how, how much he must have trusted in the greatness and the goodness of God. Number one, he, he knew God was great. Because as a king in that culture, you know what David could have said after, after he committed adultery and murder? He could have said, oh, you don't get it. I'm the king. I do whatever I want. But he didn't. He humbled himself before God. But think about the faith he must have had in God's goodness. To imagine that God could have still had a future and a plan for somebody who did the things that he did. God, or David threw himself on God's greatness and God's goodness. And here's the question, because we're talking about this fragile, intricate road called redemption. What if he didn't? And then Joseph shows up, Jesus' earthly dad. He's engaged to this girl named Mary. Uh, there's a miracle. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary becomes pregnant. Here's the thing about miracles. They're kind of hard to believe sometimes. And the people in that culture would have found it very hard to believe that Mary got pregnant by a miracle. Instead, they would have said, Hey, Joe, the girl you're married to cheated or engaged to cheated on you. You, you, you need to let her go, Joe. You need to move on. You need to walk away. And that was Joseph's plan, actually. Joseph said, uh, Joseph decided, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. But then an angel appeared to Joseph and said, no, you need to stand up. Don't back down. Stand up. What Mary is telling you is true. And I know all these people around you are saying, give up, give up, move on, but don't you do it. You stand up. And, And he did. And he was Jesus' earthly dad. He was the one that took the family and escaped to Egypt when King Herod was trying to to hunt Jesus down and kill him. It was Joseph that did that. But what if he didn't? What if Abraham didn't have the courage to step up? What if Rahab didn't believe that God could love someone like her? What, What if David didn't throw himself on God's greatness and God's goodness? And what if Joseph would have just listened to all the naysayers and walked away. See, I tell you that because I'm wondering for you, what's your road to redemption? What's your story? Have, have, have you taken some time lately to look back at the previous generation with gratitude? You say, well, I don't have a lot of people in my family to be grateful for. Okay, but how about your spiritual family? You got any Abrahams in there? Any Davids? Any Rahabs? Any Josephs? And now I want to ask you one more thing. I need you to think about it this way. This road to redemption, it leads to you, but it goes through you. In other words, it doesn't stop with you. In other words, you're someone else's previous generation. Let me say that again because I want to make sure you understand that. You're someone else's previous generation. What I'm saying is that years from now, generations from now, there might be a a group of people gathered around Maybe on this side of eternity, maybe on the other side of eternity. 
People that you might never know, that you may well never know. And they're going to be thinking about times that you stood up. They're going to be thinking of times that you stepped out, that you showed love, that you believed in God's plan. And they're going to look and see the radical impact that your faith had on their life. And they're going to look with gratitude and thanksgiving on their lips. And they're going to say to each other, what if she didn't? Man, where would we be? What if he didn't? Wow. It's the incredible power of legacy. And faithfulness in the present can shape the future. In March of 2018, I sat in a pizza joint in Halifax, Nova Scotia with two of my boys, Lucas and Gabe. We were there because Lucas had just won a national championship in basketball with the University of Calgary Dinos, but let's look a little bit deeper. Why were we really there? Well, let, let me go a little bit deeper. We were, re- we were really there because Gabe, Lucas's little brother, loved his brother so much that he decided he was going to travel all the way to Halifax to watch him. And when the game ended and all of Lucas's teammates were saying, hey guys, Lucas, Gabe, let's go out and party, let's celebrate. Lucas decided instead to, to text me and say, hey dad, before we go out and celebrate, can me, you, and Gabe hang out? But that's not really why we were there. Let's look a little bit deeper. Let's, go, let's, go, let's talk about this road to redemption for a second. Come sitting there in that pizza joint in March of 2018. It's awesome. It's a, it's a, it's a scene I, I kind of won't forget, you know? Because there's, there's a TV, TV's in this place and they're all playing the highlights of the game that I just watched the Dinos win. And we're just loving each other. We're, we're talking about the past and the present and the future and, and just being thankful. But then I got to thinking as I was sitting there in March of 2018 about why we were really there. Because in May of 1950, my dad was in Halifax, Nova Scotia. In May of 1950, my dad arrived in Canada on a boat from Holland with his family in Halifax, Nova Scotia. 68 years later, we're there. Why were we there? Well, in part because in May of 1950, my dad showed up in Halifax. My dad was a great athlete growing up. Some people say that Gabe and Lucas get their athleticism and their focus and their drive from their grandpa. Probably right. He wasn't allowed to play sports much in his family, and to be honest with you, often when he played, he didn't play to the degree that he should have to, to, to his athleticism. And the reason why is because my dad was raised by a, a really, really angry dad. A really mean dad. The kind of dad who tore him down and broke his spirit. And so sometimes he would, he would go out and play and may, maybe when you're told your whole life that, uh, that you can't and you won't and you'll never and you're not, sometimes it's hard even in small things like sports to get past that, you know what I mean? And I remember growing up sometimes I would ask myself, well, why was my grandpa such an idiot to my dad? Why was he such a jerk? Why was he so mean? And I don't know the exact reason, but I think we all kind of get the, the, the power of genealogies, don't we? Like, the chances are probably pretty good that my dad's dad's dad was also a bit of a piece of work. Would that be a fair assessment? You've heard me say it this way before, maybe. Broken people break people, right? Broken people break people, and hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. So that's the story of my dad's life. And to some degree, the story of my life. Hurting people hurt people. And then my genealogy changed. 
when I was 13 years old, my mom and dad took my little sister and me uh, out from Red Deer. We drove from Red Deer to, uh, to Yarrow. My mom's mom and dad had a farm near Yarrow, and we spent Christmas there. And while we were there, my uncle Nick, my dad's oldest brother who lived in Abbotsford, called and invited my dad to church. And here's the thing. I want to talk again, listen, about this, this fragile, beautiful road called redemption. The last thing in the world that most people would have thought of phoning my dad to invite them to in that moment probably the, would have been, hey, would you like to come to church with me? But my uncle Nick called him and asked him to church, but what if he didn't? My dad said, yes, but what if he didn't? And he went to hear this speaker named Ravi Zacharias, and he gave his heart to Jesus. But what if he didn't? And what I saw is that um, even though hurting people hurt people and broken people break people, uh, save people also save people and change people change people and love people love people too. So when I hit my rock bottom years and years later, in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta, walking up the South Hill all by myself, freezing cold, alone, afraid, exhausted, at the end of myself, absolutely hopeless. I didn't know where to turn. I had tried everything. And then it hit me. I thought, maybe I could ask the same Jesus who saved my dad to save me. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? It's legacy. It's purpose. It's the power of the present to shape the future. I would really like it if you could look back and be thankful for those who have come before you. But I would really, really like it if you would look forward and understand that you are someone else's previous generation. I graduated from high school, went straight to college. The reason I went straight to college from, uh, from high school was be, did I say I graduated from university and went straight to college? Okay, I thought I did. I'm glad I didn't, but then I said it out loud, so I might as well have said it at that point, you know what I mean? Uh, went straight from high school to college. And the reason I did is from the time my sister and I were little, my parents said, you're gonna graduate from high school and you go straight to college. So when I was in like grade 10, 11, I said, hey, what I was thinking of doing is taking a year off after high school and do some traveling, and then, and they said, oh, so what you're doing actually is you're graduating from high school and you're going straight to college. Not a lot of, not a lot, not, not, not a lot of choice in the matter. And it's weird too because uh, my dad comes from a family of six. Uh, he has two brothers, a sister, and then his mom and dad. And no one in his family, except for him, and going as far back as you want to look, ever graduated from high school. But my dad graduated from high school. A couple of reasons. Number one, he, he loved school sports. And number two, he, he loved to learn. To this day, like his light reading is Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. No idea why. When he was a little kid, he was ESL. Dutch was his first, first language, but he would go to school and he learned English. And he just thought those teachers who taught him English were so cool that they could do that. And he had this dream as a little kid that maybe when he graduated from school, he could go to university and become an English teacher. He never told anybody though because he had a dad who kind of 
tore him down every chance he gets, so he was kind of scared to talk about his dreams, you know. So finally he gets into grade 12, he's partway through grade 12, and he comes home one day and he says, uh, Mom and Dad, I was thinking that maybe when I graduate from high school I could go to university and become a teacher. And, and, and they were so angry and so upset and threatened him and tore him down so much that he decided, I'll oh, forget it. He went off and he joined the RCMP instead. But he said something to himself in that moment. He said, when I have kids, I want to make sure that they have the opportunity that they absolutely are forced to go to uh, university straight out of high school. And my mom has a similar story. Uh, my mom comes from a family of six, her three sisters and their mom and dad. And my grandpa, my, my, my mom's dad, he looked at his four daughters and he thought to himself uh, that, that, that young women didn't get the same opportunities and the same advantages as young men in that culture. And he decided that what he was going to do was he was going to do everything in his power to make sure that his daughters had every advantage that he could give them. One of the things that he thought that he would do is he would say, you will graduate from high school. You got to understand all their friends who were young women were quitting school because it wasn't considered important. So, so at some point, they're getting up there in the grades and my mom and her sisters, they're not really trying at school anymore. So my grandpa sits them down and he says, hey, I know a lot of your friends have quit school. And I think the oldest one was in grade 10 at that time. He says, so you're in grade 10 right now. And, uh, and you're not really trying, because all your friends have quit. Okay, so how many years should it take you to graduate from high school from right now? Grade 10, grade 11, grade 12. How many years should that be? And he gave, you know, three. He said, I, I need you to know something. You will graduate from high school. If it takes you three years, that's great. If it takes you 10 years, I don't care. You will graduate from high school, and my mom, something inside her in that moment said, man, I wanna give my kids the chance to even go further, and I'm gonna force them to go to university when they graduate high school. So then my mom and dad become Christians when I'm like 13 years old. And they heard that Canada's only Christian liberal arts university was in Langley, Trinity Western University, and, and they feel like I'm supposed to go there. <laughs> but I graduated high school, I'm not going there. I, no. So I went to Red Deer College instead. Three years to get two years worth of credits. That's a long story, I'll tell it another day. But, um, but after, the, after that moment on the South Hill in Red Deer, when Jesus saved me, one of the things he spoke to me right away was, was, that, was that idea of Trinity Western. God placed it in my parents' heart. So I went. And I, I still remember my first day. My dad at that time had a little trucking company. So we drove out together from Red Deer. I had my car. And, and he was driving in a semi-truck. And so we pulled up to this rest area not far away from the campus where my dad had room to park. And he parked, and I parked behind him, and we walked, we walked onto campus together. And I remember as we were walking, he kept saying the same thing to me. He said, Mike, I'm so jealous. I didn't really know what he meant, you know, at that time. But I think back at it now, and, 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 and I wonder what, what it must have felt like. That some of the dreams that he had as a little kid that he was never able to realize were now being realized through him to his son and a year later for his daughter. Hmm. It's a, so God placed in them this desire that their kids would go and go, go to this school. And, and I guess here's the question. He, my, my, my dad stood up and made it happen, but what if he didn't? I remember even years later, I would be stressed out and annoyed because I had to write exams and write papers, and, and when I was tempted to feel sorry for myself, I would always instead try to feel grateful. 
I, th- I think it's important to look back so you can look forward. I think for some of you here today, that the, the, the biggest thing stopping you from having a sense of legacy and purpose, from wanting to uh, make decisions today that'll shape the future, maybe you need to look back and just take a moment to be grateful. So my dad brought me to Trinity Western University, but what if he didn't? Because the next night, I met this girl, and, 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 and her name's Corinne, and we got married, and we had six kids. And, and this road to redemption, it rolls on. Do, do you understand that you're somebody else's previous generation? It's amazing when I think about it. There's people who, um, who you don't know. And, and there's people who you might never, never know. Th- th- listen to this. There are people who will never even know who you are, whose life will be radically altered by who you are. There are people in the generations to come who will never even know who you are, whose lives will be radically altered by who you are. It's legacy. The way they love their spouse, the way they stand up for what's right, the way they show love, the way they trust their Father in heaven will be radically altered by who you are. And I think of it, you know, I think of a campfire. I think of people gathered around generations from now, maybe on this side of eternity, maybe on the other side of eternity, and they'll, and, and they'll be talking about that time that you took a page out of Abraham's book and you stepped into the unknown even though it was scary. Or, or maybe you took a, a page out of Rahab's book And even though there were people around you and there was voices inside of you saying, God could never love someone like you, you recognized for what it was, a lie. And you stepped into his faith and his forgiveness and his mercy. Or maybe you took a page out of David's book and you fell on God's greatness and God's goodness. Or you took a page out of Joseph's book. Even there was all sorts of voices around you telling you to step back, you stood up. And they'll be telling those stories. And they maybe didn't even meet you. And they're going to ask themselves this with gratitude and thanksgiving in their hearts. They're going to look at each other and say, what if he didn't? (laughs) What if she didn't? Where would we all be? It's legacy. It's, It's the power of the present to shape the future. So I just want to take a moment of reflection, if that's okay. If you don't mind, to close your eyes and just bow your heads for a moment. I think of what Abraham who took that first step into the unknown. I think of Rahab who trusted in God's love rather than people's judgment. I think of David who humbled himself and trusted God's goodness and God's greatness. I think of Joseph who stood up when people were telling him to walk away. And I want to tell you right now, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what's been done to you. But I know there's people here today, I'm sure of it, 
that your first step down this road to redemption, your first step that other people are going to look back generations from now and say, what if she didn't? What if he didn't? Your first step is this, to trust in Jesus today. I'm telling you, he came for you. If you were the only one who needed to be rescued, he would have stepped into human history for you. If you were the only one who needed a clean slate and forgiveness and to stop carrying that baggage around, he would have died just for you. If you were the only one that needed strength for today and hope for tomorrow and the promise of eternity, he would have rose again just for you. That's why he came. So if today is the day and you want to put your faith in Jesus and invite him to be your Lord and your Savior with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, can you just raise your hand right now and I want to pray for you. Nice and high if you don't mind. That's awesome. 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 That's great. You can put your hands down. That's awesome. Why don't you stand? Everybody, yeah. (laughs) I want to pray for those people who raise their hands out loud and you can pray with me in your heart. And then I want to pray for all the rest of us too. Dear Jesus, thank you for redemption. Thank you that you make all things new. I thank you for coming into human history for me. Today I ask you to be my savior. Jesus, today I hand you my sins and my shame and my regret. I'll leave it at the cross. In exchange, I take your forgiveness and your salvation. Thank you. Today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord. Please give me the strength to follow you one next step at a time. Today, tomorrow, and forever. And Jesus, for all of us, including me, man, I pray that we would be people of legacy, whether we're 16 or 76, whatever it is, or anywhere in between that we would understand that in this moment right now, we are shaping the future. Give us courage to step into the unknown. Give us faith to believe that, that, that even if there are people that tell us, like, after what we've done or who we are, that we could never, that we would know that you are not a never God, that you are forever God, and we trust you. Give us the ability to stand up when others would run away. May we love like you love help like you help, serve like you serve, and change us. You've changed us to change this world, one life, one story at a time. I pray this in your name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Hey, can we celebrate that south side? Is that okay? <laughs> one, one thing I would ask before anybody leaves, if you're one of those who just raised your hand, I only have one next step for you. If you could just come up here right now and sing a little, no, I'm just totally kidding about that. Uh, if you, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, you didn't think so, but I thought it was hilarious. Okay, so if, if you just raised your hand, I do have one next step for you. If you could just text the keyword life, life, L-I-F-E, to that number 604-670-3040. Not so we can spam you, but we just want to walk with you. We want to help you in any way that we can. This Christian life is not meant to be left, lived alone. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Hey, thanks so much for watching today. Why don't you come join us at any of our four Sunday services? We meet at Sardis Secondary School in Chilliwack, British Columbia. And for more info, you can visit southsidelife.com.